Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Elul Learning Series. It is lovely to see you and lovely that there will be those of you on the podcast listening to this, maybe closer to Rosh Hashanah, who knows. Um, but this is something that has been going on at Temple Beth Am called Haftorah Plethora, though if you read it and you don't know that that's how it's supposed to be um, uh, said, you would think it would be Haftorah Plethora, but it doesn't sound as nice that way. And this is something that Larry and Rick uh, and behind the scenes Norm put on for the Temple of Atham community every week. And they go through different Haftorah kind of nuances and stories and uh, maybe different tropes and interesting facts about the Haftorah that we might be reading, given that we don't usually spend so much time looking at the Haftorah. So they decided that for this um, this part of our Elo series, that they would dive into Rosh Hashanah Day 2 Haftorah. And uh, they're going to do the same type of podcast that they do every week and video that they do every week for us as, uh, as a high holiday edition. So I'm very excited to be able to be here live. I, I have watched, but never been live for one of these. And, uh, and thank you for bringing this element of Torah to, to us for our high holiday preparation. Yermiyahu was a prophet, was a good chaver of mine, never understood a single word he said, but we helped him to drink his yarn, and we always have some mighty fine yarn, singing Sim Chadli Olam, Kol Ayil Welcome to the Haftorah Plethora video podcast, where we might not bring joy to the world, but we do talk about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and all the other prophets. At least the ones who got their prophecies and writings accepted into the Grand Academy of Haftorot. You're right, Rick. We miss out on Nachum, Zephaniah, and Haggai. Maybe we'll do a special show on those unfortunate prophets and call it the haftorah trio. But today, we're going to examine and chant the Haftorah for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. You know what that means, don't you? Yeah, it'll be the first time that many of our viewers will actually hear this Haftorah, since by the time we get to it on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, most people are stuffed, have had their share of shul, and are ready for a nap. Well, that too. But I was referring to the fact that we're finally breaking out of our streak of Haftorah plethora episodes on Isaiah. We just finished our seventh in a row this week, and we're finally back to Jeremiah our musical namesake, and inspiration for the frog theme of our graphics. Anyway, I'm Larry Herman, sipping some very fine wine and talking Haftarah today with my very good chaver, the king of cantillation, Rick Muller. How are you doing on this beautiful Sunday afternoon, Rick? I'm great. Two Haftarah plethoras in one week and a chance to actually see all of our fans. What could be better? I can only think of one thing. And I know what that is. It's, it's Millie, Millie time. time. That's right, Rick. Being with and talking about my granddaughter, Millie, outweighs every other pleasure. And what's that precious and precocious kid up to this week? Well, she's not yet reciting Haftarah, but she is starting to sit up. 
Looks like gravity helped her slide out of that chair a little bit. Yeah, she wiggled out before I could strap her in there. But here she is, sitting up in a new high chair that we got for her. Someday soon you'll have a chumash in front of her so she can follow along with Zadie. Ah, ha, ha. And Millie has a couple of protectors in Stevie and Billy, who think that she's part of their pack. Seems like she thinks so, too. Well, before this show goes to the dogs, let's get back to the Haftara for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Some of our viewers may not be familiar with what we do here. Perhaps we should give them a general explanation. Sure, Rick. In the Haftara plethora, we take a look at the weekly Haftara and read on Shabbat. Although for this Haftara plethora live, we're talking about the Haftara for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, which comes from Jeremiah. Usually, I try to give an overview of the text, place it into some kind of context, and then highlight the main message, themes, symbols, or linguistic patterns found in the text. Usually with a little bit of humor. Or at least I try to find something to lighten up the atmosphere. I try to first examine the text with fresh eyes and not simply rehash what commentators such as Rashi have to say. I often find it useful to compare the translation by Robert Alter to the JPS commentary found in the Eitz Chaim Chumash and the Lev Shalem Machzor. And we often complain about the JPS translation. I think with good reason, as I expect to demonstrate again today. Can't wait. I generally focus on the trope or the candelation marks of the text. I like to explain how the Masoretes, mainly Aaron ben Asher and Shlomo ben Buya, added these musical notations as a form of commentary, accentuating certain words and phrases that they thought particularly meaningful. The tropes instruct us how to read the text, linking some words together, keeping some words apart. One general rule is that the rarest trope are usually an indication of the most important or pivotal ideas in the Haftorah or the Torah reading. It works there, too. And I like to point out how certain trope add a sense of drama and feeling. And we each have our favorites. I'm partial to the Kadma Vazla. And I like the Dargat Tavirs. We usually break the chanting of the Haftorah down into several sections and talk about the highlights before Rick chants the section. Why don't we just get on with our expen- uh, examination of the Haftorah for the second day of Rosh Hashanah? Good idea, Rick. The, this Haftorah comes from what is called the Book of Consolation. It's not actually a separate book, but rather chapters 30 and 31 of the Book of Jeremiah. It's called the Book of Consolation for two reasons. First, the second verse of chapter 30 tells us that God instructed Jeremiah to write down in a scroll all the words that I have spoken to you, I being God. Ergo, a scroll or a book. And second, the verses in these two chapters are proclamations of hope and promises of restoration and reunification of the Jewish people. Hence, consolation. Okay, that sounds like a nice theme for Rosh Hashanah. Perhaps, but I'm actually not so convinced. First of all, what are the themes of Rosh Hashanah, Rick? Well, there's creation, uh, tshuva, repentance, uh, renewal. After all, it's the beginning of the new year. And awe, it's the beginning of the yamim noraim, the days of awe. Excellent. And as we'll see, only one of those themes, tshuva, is remotely mentioned in the Haftarah. But there are also three themes that appear in the Rosh Hashanah Musaf service. Malchuyot, kingship, zikronot, or remembrance, and shofrot, shofar. And once again, only one of these themes, zikronot, is actually mentioned in the Haftarah. 
Now that I think of it, Rosh Hashanah is more of an individual, in, introspective holiday. It's not so much a national day. We don't usually think about restoration or reunification. So why did our sages choose these verses as the Haftorah for the second day? I'll get into that in just a moment. Remember, Jeremiah was a Judean. Not a bullfrog. No, not a bullfrog, who lived through the Babylonian conquest of the southern kingdom of Judea. But all the verses in our Haftarah refer to the restoration of Israel, the northern kingdom, following the Assyrian conquest and exile of the ten tribes. Jeremiah uses a variety of terms to let us know that he and God are talking about the northern kingdom. These include Israel, Maiden Israel, the hills of Samaria, the heights of Ephraim, the remnant of Israel, the Northland, father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. There are numerous references to Ephraim, as Ephraim was the strongest of the northern tribes, and therefore a symbol of all of Israel. You still haven't explained the link between our Haftorah and Rosh Hashanah? I'm getting to that just now. It's in the last three verses of the Haftarah. Remember, Adonai is doing the declaring through the words of Jeremiah. In verse 18, God tells Rachel the grandmother of Ephraim, that he hears Ephraim, or is it Israel, expressing words of tshuva. It reads, You have chastised me, and I am chastised, like a calf that has not been broken. Receive me back, let me return, for you, O Lord, are my God. And then, in the next verse, Ephraim continues with the words of regret and a plea for forgiveness. Now that I have turned back, I am filled with remorse. I am ashamed and humiliated, for I bear the disgrace of my youth. And finally, in verse 20, come remembrance and acceptance by God. I don't like the JPS translation of this verse at all, so I'm going to use a translation found in the Saxe-Korn Machzor. It reads, Is Ephraim not a treasured son to me, my child of delights? As I speak of him always, I remember him again. I will tender him compassion, says the Lord. I get it. These three verses emphasize the role of tshuva and the hope that we have to be remembered by God and then treated with compassion. That's the hope we all have on Rosh Hashanah. And that's the link to Rosh Hashanah. In fact, this last verse, beginning with Haven Yakirli, appears at the end of the Zichronot section of the Rosh Hashanah Musaf service. And it's been made into a song many times over, I suppose. I just know one of them. When I was young, it went, Haven, Yakirli, Yakirli, Ephraim, Im Yeledim, Yeled Shashuim. It went on for a long time and very dramatic. Very but nice. That's, that's what I remember of it. All right. That was very nice. Okay. And um, fine. So do we have time to discuss the tropes now? Sure, Rick, there's always time to discuss a trope. What have you got? Um, I generally want to make two points and then talk more about the trope uh, before I chant each section. In the past, I've explained that the Masoretes, the rabbis of the tradition, divided the text into sections by using pays and samachs, pay for petucha, it's open, samach uh, for stuma, for closed. But uh, how did they know where to put the section breaks? This week, the rare munach legarme, which is a pair of munachs separated by a vertical line, helps us to understand. There are three of them in our Haftorah. 
each followed by a revia falling on the phrase ko amar adonai thus said the lord very important statement for jeremiah that's a signal phrase for a new section a new set of ideas in fact there's one more ko amar adonai without the munach lagarme on the first verse of the haftorah but there's one more petucha after verse 9. That's not followed by a ko amar adonai. Glad you mentioned that, because verse 10 begins with the words shim'u dvar adonai, or hear the word of the Lord, which is very similar, and this also indicates a section break. Wow. Now we know what to look for when we see those pays and samachs. The other trope thing I wanted to explain is the use of the rare zarka-segol combination, which appears three times, each of which <clears throat> echoes your description of the Haftorah as being about restoration and reunification. So the trope helped with the theme. Um, in verse 8, we have the kibatim miyarketearetz, meaning gather them from the ends of the, wor- uh, from the, ends of the earth. <clears throat> in verse 9, we have uvtachanunim ovileim, meaning in supplication, I will lead them. And in verse 12, we have uva uverina nuvim ron sion, meaning they shall come and sing gladly on the heights of Zion. So all those three affirm the theme, a theme of restoration and reunification. Um, I'll have more to say later. There's seven yativs, uh, two zakev gadols, and there's others uh, before I chant each section. Uh, so what are the divisions going to be this week? Since you already explained so nicely, let's follow the divisions that the Masoretes established with their pays and samachs. We'll start with verses 2 through 6, where God proclaims the return of the northern kingdom, Israel. Then continue with verses 7 through 9, which speak of the ingathering of Jacob and the remnant of Israel. Verses 10 through 14 are an address to the nations of the world, where God explains that he who scattered Israel will gather them in. Verse 15 is a section all by itself, with a sad Rachel weeping for her children. Then verses 16 and 17, Rachel is comforted by God with news of the return of her children to their land, and will close with verses 18 through 20, where God accepts the repentance of Ephraim on behalf of Israel, and we hope, on behalf of all of us. Sounds great. I just have two comments on the first section, uh, two through six. First, the Zakif Gadol at the beginning of uh, verse three on Merachok. The word is from afar, perhaps emphasizing how distant the people had been from God. And then the four examples of the Yativ, the little arrowhead, a sharp piercing, but short trope that's usually assigned to short words that require attention. Here we see it on Ko, the very beginning. On Ode in verse 4, which means again, and then again in verse 5, and then Kumu uh, in verse 6. Uh, there the Yativ accentuates the command to get up. It's a dramatic. Rick, time for the bracha, and then to start chanting. The Haftar is found on page 1231 of Eitz Chaim Chumash, on page 111 of the Lev Shalem Machzor, and technology and Normgar permitting should appear on your screen for you to follow along. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kichanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Amen. And then, 
ko amar adonai matachen bamibar am sride charev aloch lahargio Yisrael merachok adonai nirali beahavat olam ahavtich alken. Meshachtich chasad. Od evnech venivnet betulat Yisrael. Od tadi tu paich veyatsat bimachol mesachaki. Od tit ramim behare shomron. Nat u not im vechilelu ki yeshom kar u notrim bahar efraim kumu bena aletzion el Adonai Eloheinu. Very nice, Rick. I see that in the next section I get my favorite trope: Akadmava Azla. Preceded by Tlishakatana. What's all that about? Right. In verse 8, we've got Hineni, which means behold. And um, then you have Meviotam, uh, on I will bring them in. The restoration, as you have noted. Knowing what we know, we can attach the hope that our tshuva will be accepted. And we have yet another yativ on the small word bum, also in verse 8, meaning in them. Everyone will be included in this great ingathering. Let's hope so. Rick, chant verses 7 through 9. Kiho amar Adonai, ronu liyaakov simcha, v'tzahalu berosh ha-goyim, hashmiu halalu v'imru, hosha Adonai, Et Amcha, et Sherit Yisrael. And then, Hineni, Meviotam, Meret Safon, Vekibatim, Meyarkete Aretz, Bam, Iver Ufiseach. Harav yoledet yachtav, kahal gadol yashuvu heina. Bivachi yavou, uvtachanunim, ovilem, olichem, elnachale maim, pederach yashar, lo yikashlu, Bah, ki ayiti l'Yisrael le'av ve'efrayim bechorihu. Very nice. In the next section, Rick, we have the second zakef gadol on the word ugoalo in verse 11. Is that special? I think so. Are you kidding me? It's what this Haftorah and Rosh Hashanah are all about, redemption. Here the verse refers to Jacob, whose other name was Yisrael, all part of the same theme, just like you said. 
And we've also got a Gershaim in verse 12 on the word Venaharu, which means shine. We talked about this word in the Haftorah plethora for Kitavo this week. It's in the Haftorah for Shabbat. The people will shine brightly on the heights of Zion. Back to chanting. Verse 10. Next one, Norm. There we go. Shimu Dvaronai Goyim Behagidu Vaim Mimerchak Beimru Mizare Yisrael Yikabsenu Ushmaro Kuroe Edro Kifada Donai Ed Yaakov Ugalo Miad Chazak Mimenu Uvau Berinenu Vimrom Sion Benaharu El Tuv Adonai Adagan Bel Tirosh Bel Yitar Bel Benetzon Uvakar Behaita Nafsham Sorry, Kegan Rave, Belo Yosifu Ledaava Od, Aztismach Betula Bemachol, Uvachurim Uzkenim Yachtav, Behafachti Evlam Lesasson, Venicham Team. Vesimachtim migonam Veriveti Nefesh hakohanim Dashen Veami Etuvi Yisbau Neumadonai Rick, verse 15 is all by itself. Yeah, it's lonely, man. Just like Rachel weeping for her children. She's lonely. We have several words, several words of bitter wailing and crying here. Bechi tamrurim, nehi we have, and mivaka. Rachel refuses to be comforted as the tevir on Ma'ana shows us. I'm almost brought to tears myself. Chant verse 15, Rick. Ko amarad, sorry. Ko amar Adonai, ko berama nishma nehi bechi tamrurim Rachel mevaka albaneha meana leinachem albaneha ki enenu. So sad, Rick. Let me try my hand at this next section. Besides the koamar, the only special trope here is the Telishakatana on the tiny word ki in verse 16. But if we read this verse, we can see that this is the pivot or the fulcrum of the entire Haftarah. God is telling Rachel to hold back her weeping. Why? Because that little word ki or because introduces the reason. Her children shall return. That little word with a dramatic Telishakatana points us to the uplifting conclusion. Sing it for us, Rick. 
and hit that key really hard. Oh, Amar Adonai, min ikolech mi bechi ve'enayich mi ki yesh sachar lifulatech nu'm Adonai v'shavu me'eretz o'yev v'yesh tikva l'acharitech there's hope there, huh? Tikva. Yes. We've already talked about the last three verses, but the final verse, verse 20, deserves a bit more attention. First, we have the Telishakatana Kadmava Azla combination on the start of Haven Yakirli is Ephraim not my dear son. And then we've got Ephraim saying, Ashiveni va'ashuva, bring me back that I may return. A great Rosh Hashanah sentiment, and one that the rabbis have included in the plural when we return the Torah to the Ark, Hashivenu Adonai Alecha v'nashuva, and also something we said last night in the Slichot service. And that reminds me of the Torah reading for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, another connection. When Abraham tells his servants, Vinashuva, they're going to do their thing on the mountain. Vinashuva, the nun is the plural, we, we're going to come back, indicating that he will be returning with Isaac and not alone. And there's another thing. There's a pair of repeated words that seem to give translators fits. In verse 19, God says, Zachor eskarenu od. And later in the same verse, we have Rachem Acharamenu. And don't forget that in verse 18, before we have the repetition, Shamoa Shamati. Exactly. And I don't like the JPS translation of any of them. The repetition surely should read as surely. Don't call me surely. But you're right. Doubling the word, at least the Shoresh, is a way of providing emphasis, like surely or certainly. And your point is? That I don't like the JPS translation. The better translation would be, of these three, first, I have surely heard. And then, I will surely remember him. And then, I will surely show him mercy. Like you said, translation is difficult. And an art. And an art. Rick, take us home. Shamoa shamati. Ephraim meet no dead, Yisartani vaivaser keegel lolumad, Hashiveni veashuva kiata Adonai Elohai, kiachare shuvi nichamti veachare ivadi. Safakti al yarech, boshti begam nichlamti, ki nasati cherpat neurai, haven yakirli Ephraim im yelet shashuim. 
Kimidei dabrebo Zachor ez karenu od aken hamu me ai lo rachem arachamenu neumadonai. Kolakavod, Rick. Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Haftarah Plethora Live. A very special thanks to Norm Gar, who spends hours putting together the opening and closing graphics, the, the its Millie Time segment, preparing the text that so you can follow along on the screen, and making musical selections and video clips to complement our chatter. We do invite you to write us with your thoughts and comments, compliments and criticisms. Our emails are on the closing credits, and also we'll put them into the chat. And if you like our Zoomcast, please tune in each week and forward the link to your family and friends. Last night was the beginning of Slichot, so we know that Rosh Hashanah is coming soon. We wish you all a Shana Tova and Mutuka. We hope that we've made your holiday just a tiny bit more interesting. Shana Tova and Shavua Tov. And if, any, if anybody is still here with us, we'll be happy to answer your questions after Norm's closing credits. Good to hear some clapping there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, open up the floor, if you like. Joanna, did you have a question? I want to know where that shofar graphic is that we saw at the end. That was brilliant. Did like one of you design that or you found that somewhere? Norm found it. That's a Norm thing. <laughs> And Norm, Norm is great. Norm has really uh, um, raised the bar. And all the jazz behind there, that's uh, Larry's into jazz, so Norm finds different uh, jazz composers to uh, have in the background some uh, for the Millie pictures and all that. All of the stuff is stolen off the Internet somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. And every week, every week he quizzes me and says, you know what that is? And I know because he actually told me that this week is, is Arturo Sandoval. Sadly, Ruben's not on here, our son Ruben, because Arturo is a friend of his. Wow. I just want to point out that I don't, I don't usually focus on the Haftorah. Usually the Haftorah is like the time that the clergy can, you know, go say hello to a congregant or go to the bathroom for the first time in four hours. Yeah. Um, so I don't often pay attention to the Haftorah on Rosh Hashanah Day 2 specifically. Um, and I had never, I had studied the text before, you know, when we studied texts in rabbinical school, but I had never focused on the the really poignant connection between the Akedah and Rachel's suffering um, and how interesting it is that that the the way in which it's written in the Haftarah is... It is made to make us also think about ourselves, which is not necessarily how we approach the Akedah um, when we when we listen to the Torah reading, but how how really clear it is in the Haftorah that 
we can also look at that story as a way of seeing ourselves in moments of sacrifice or moments of um, test or, you know, however you want to translate the, um, uh, the Akedah itself. So thank you for bringing those connections. Cause I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I would have made the connection so clearly around parent and children um, in the, in these two stories. Yeah. That, that's Rick's, that's one of, one of Rick's many um, skills and strengths is because he knows the Torah readings and the Haftarot so well. Yeah. He's constantly finding connections either in, hey, this trope was used here back in this Parsha, and often there's a very interesting link, or he'll say this word was used here and is used now over here. Yeah. And so he's made me scramble uh, often looking for those those connections. The, the, you know that the this is not off topic, but it has nothing to do with this specific Haftarah, um, that when the conservative movement came up with the idea, and if you heard Rabbi Klefeld and I teach on this, I guess now two years ago, you heard us talk about this piece a little bit also. The reason the conservative movement came up with the triennial for Haftarahs is because if you're reading a triennial Torah reading, you don't always get those connecting pieces, right? Rosh Hashanah is different because it's the same Haftarah and it's the same Torah reading for everybody. There's no mm-hmm. triennial, but when it comes to actual Torah readings, if you're not reading a full Kriya, it's possible, depending on the, the triennial that you're in, that the Haftarah will have nothing to do with the triennial piece of Torah that you're reading. Yeah. And so the idea for Haftarahs, when they, were, when they were paired up, so to speak, back in the day, was that the Haftarah was, was from Navim a way of mirroring and, and enhancing the Torah reading. And you lose that if you're not reading the correct triennial that it's, that it's connected to. Um, so the triennial Haftarah system brings in different pieces of Nevi'im to actually make those connections that it sounds like Rick, you know, could, could do in his sleep um, with different pieces of Nevi'im that might not even be read as Haftarot in, in traditional shuls as a way of making sure that there's always a connection between the Torah reading and the Haftarah reading. Maybe they'll bring in those three prophets who don't get a chance to, to be they read do. for the rest of the year. They do. They do bring them in. I can send you the chuba. It's a very interesting chuba. Um, and one that right before the pandemic, Beitenu was, was trying out because we wanted to make the, the content connected. Um, but they do bring in those three. I don't know if it's all three, but they do bring in pieces from other um, prophets that are not mentioned. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to know when they're going to do Nachum and Zephaniah and Haggai. I'd like to try those. Haggai is definitely in there. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'd like to sign up for it. Um, Actually, was, go ahead. I was I was telling Larry when I was singing this when we were practicing. I would I, I have things in my head that aren't here because I'm used to those phrases. Um, I messed up on one. Where it was usually Adonai, but it, it was it, it, Kigan. I thought it was Kigan Adonai, but it was Kigan Rave because I was just going off of memory. And um, I've never taught a kid for this bar mitzvah, for the bar mitzvah, this haftorah because uh, they, they just don't have it. So um, this is one of the ones I'm least familiar with. So um, I had to catch myself a couple times. Uh, but anyway, um, thank you for uh, the compliments. But 
Yeah, I'd like to do one of those, uh, the three that we don't ever do. That'd be nice. Yeah. That'd yeah. be fun. And it'll be nice because there won't be the commentary in Eitz Chaim. One of the things that Rick and I don't agree on yeah. is he likes the commentary in Eitz Chaim, and I generally don't like it. First yeah. of all, I find it very esoteric and um, and uh, ap- ap- almost apologetic. Mm-hmm. And I wish they would really dive into the, to the Haftorah more um, and be a bit more critical about what fits, what doesn't fit, what the themes are. Yeah. Yeah. And I have not found, I'm sure that there are some good commentaries on the Haftorot besides commentaries on the text itself that uh, that I sometimes look at, well, I almost always look at, but only after I've gone through it myself and and tried to find what I thought were the, the most distinguishing elements of the Haftorah. Yeah. But, it, but, but it's, it's hard to find, I have not found, a book of Haftorot and commentaries that deals specifically with the text. So Addis Israel in D.C. created, it's not called the Chumash, I forget what it's called, but um, created their own book of Triennial Haftarot. And they put in commentaries, some from members of the community or rabbis in the community, and mm-hmm. of the community, I should say, um, and from other places as well. And when you when you go to read Haftarah in that community, you don't use the Eitz Chaim, you use this Haftarah book that they have mm-hmm. um, because it's very specific to, you know, Nitzavim, Triennial 1, this is the this is the Haftorah, or, you know, Kitavo, Triennial 3, this is the Haftorah. So I can, I can see if I can get my hands on that for you, but, it, um, but I think that would have the, those connections since it was created for that exact purpose. I'll just raise one other point since we don't have any burning questions out there. Um, We didn't include, although I had included it originally in the draft when we were working on it, there's a very interesting um, aspect to this reading um, that threw me off at first and threw Norm off as well. And that is, we say that this is verses 2 through 20 when the rest of the Jewish world and the entire Christian world thinks that this is verses 1 through 19. And um, JPS, and I don't know the reason why, decided to take verse 25 from chapter 30 and to make it verse 1 of chapter 31. If you read that verse in the context of chapter 30, you'll see it fits perfectly as the culminating verse of chapter 30. It makes no sense whatsoever as the first verse of chapter 31. And yet that's what they did. So if you go to any other Chumash besides Eitz Chaim, or maybe any other JPS-oriented Chumash, um, or, uh, for example, if you go to Chabad online, you'll see that what we read today is verses 1 through 19. If you go to Safaria, you'll see it's verses 2 through 20, because Safaria uses the JPS. And one one other thing we discovered as we were doing it, the Eitz Chaim the Safaria version of JPS and the JPS itself and the Tikkun, which is not JPS, all have different amounts of the Petuchas and the Stumas. Some of them eliminate some that are actually there in the text. And I, I don't know if those are simply errors or intentional omissions. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
I'm looking at the chat now, and uh, thank you for the Haven Yakir Lees. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, listen to them. No problem. Yeah. The, the Petuchan, the Sutuma, I've noticed before. I generally prep when I lay Torah reading from Tikkun Simanim, and I, I don't even remember what Parsha or where it was, but I distinctly remember this happening, that I prepped once and I got to the Sefer Torah and what was a Petucha in Simanim was a Setuma in the Torah that I happened to be learning from. And I asked the Rabbi of the Minion about that and he said there is flux about that in some places. Yeah. Yeah, every scribe, I mean, they have their own things. They have their own customs. How can they have their own things? They're all supposed to they're all supposed to copy from a kosher safer. Well, yeah, but, but some Torahs are Vav Torahs, where every column starts with a Vav and and some aren't. I've, yeah, I've I don't just... think that it makes I mean I'm no so fair, but I don't think that it makes it kosher or not to have to have those kinds of breaks. I think that the kashrut of a Torah is based on legitimacy of words and, um, and other formatting, you know, like Az Yashir and those kinds mm-hmm. of things for format wise that need to be the same, but I'm not sure that the, the spaces, so to speak, <laughs> that you might find um, are specific. Yeah. I, I've got a question about um, the relationship of the trope to the subject because as you said at the beginning it's it's very odd that the trope is um stami it's just plain old trope without anything dramatic and especially the part about rachel weeping for her children that line you would you would think that musically they would have done something with that and and they didn't yeah i mean is is it I think you and I had this discussion, Rick, when, when I was learning Haftorah from you, um, that sometimes the the trope, like like you'll have a revia, you know, going down on a passage where there's something sad. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the only thing I can say, um, looking at verse 15, it's just it's, it's, it's um, everyday normal kind of trope. So the only thing I can get out of that is that it can relate to everybody, that it's just, it's just, um, it's a, a, a common, a common melody that people will be used to, um, to comfort the ones who have lost. I don't, I don't know, give them something familiar. Um, uh, I thought a long time ago, you know, why aren't there more, excuse me, why aren't there more pazers? Why aren't there more shalshalats everywhere? And uh, it, it, w- it would just be too much. It would be overwhelming. Um, it would take a lot longer, right? If we had to do da 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 If that was all over the place, then um, it, it wouldn't be as special, as special when they turn up. Um, so, yeah, that verse 15, Larry and I went back and forth whether it should be a section by itself. And... Um, I convinced him that it was the way uh, the stuma, the samach, appears at the end. Um, but I, I, just the idea of of a, a woman crying for her kids, I, I, I think that's enough just to sit there and, and leave it alone. Um, and then the next two verses uh, bring her out of it. 
with uh, the key that uh, that uh, uh, Larry uh, uh, mentioned um, that because uh, they're going to return, it, it'll be okay. Um, but yeah, I, I've um, I've just noticed that the the rare trope uh, help tell the story, but there's plenty of trope that just get uh, common kind of everyday. Uh, there's certain words that just get common everyday trope, and um, it's uh, it's up to the interpreter, you know. Um, yeah, my my final comment would be, I think that you can engage with the text in a variety of ways. And the one thing that I've been really grateful to Rick for and to this opportunity this past year, um, I think we're going to continue so that we've actually, we will eventually do um, the entire cycle and, and all of most of the special um, Haftarot um, is to have a chance to engage with the text and to tell people, <clears throat> not that there's any one way to engage with it, but you should engage with it because there's, there's something to be taken away from almost every Haftarah. So wrestle with it. Try to figure out why the, you know, the poet, well, especially look for the poetry in the words. And for that, you can't look at the JPS translation since they're basically a bunch of shochets, butchers, when it comes to that. Um, better to pick up the uh, the altar translation and um, and think about the, uh, think about the trope and what and what they might possibly mean. Yep. Great. Thank you so much. The one thing I've learned all year is that Larry Herman does not like the JPS translation, but likes every other book's translation and will have all those books near him in order to read you the translation. Um, That's good. This is, this was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you really all, but thank you both for, um, thank you putting this together and uh i don't i i wrote down lots of notes i definitely will have uh different things to say about this half hour than i have before on the high holidays so thank you for that well, good good you have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from temple beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative judaism in los angeles if you enjoy these podcasts we invite you to write a review on the apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.